Dude, that's so weird. Total deja vu. What, just now? Just now. That's weird. Like, I just totally remember the dream, but I don't remember the dream. Are you serious? I'm serious. That was so Let's weird. Let's start off there. Let's do this, that. When I pulled this mic up to me, just total deja vu. I'm like, whoa, I've done this before. I've never done this before. I've never been in a radio station with a mic on a boom before, but I totally, that, that's just weird. Connecting, equipping, and promoting emerging supernaturalists. Be <laughs> the created such a time as this. All right, and here we go. <laughs> there is more. He said, what? Hey everybody, this is the Supernaturalist Podcast Show. This show exists to connect, equip, and promote emerging supernaturalists on a global level, and I trust that that's why you're listening, because most likely it's your desire to see God's kingdom come. His will be done, established through your daily contribution. It's such an honor to have all you radical supernaturalists listening in today. If we haven't met yet, my name is Darren Stott, lead pastor at a church called Seattle Revival Center, author of a book. Yep, I wrote a book. It's called Pattern Interrupt. You can check it out on Amazon. Also, check out Pattern Interrupt, the audiobook. That's a good time. You'll enjoy that. And founder of Supernaturalist Ministries. Today, I was in the studio with John Thomas, who's in town as part of our Spiritual Things Conference, um, alongside of Jamie Galloway. But today, it was just John and I in the studio talking about dreams. And then people started calling in, and John started interpreting um, dreams. You can actually listen to that episode at darrens.radio.com. Now, when we were done with the radio show, the radio station gave us another studio to go in there and continue the conversation to go into a much deeper conversation. We spent an additional hour um, recording a very organic conversation where it's pretty it's pretty transparent and it's us just talking about stuff that, that we find interesting. And so I think you're really going to enjoy this hour long kind of just hangout that just got captured um, with John Thomas. Now, if you don't know who John Thomas is, is uh, John Thomas took over um, Streams Ministries after John Paul Jackson um, was promoted to go be with the Lord. Now, um, John Thomas it, uh, is a teacher, a public speaker, hits on everything from practical leadership uh, into the ins and outs, the dynamics of prophetic ministry, as well as equipping and empowering people for dream interpretation and really walking in a uh, in a very mature dream interpretation anointing, um, and has a huge heart for discipleship, and so um, uh, the, the hanging out with John Thomas was so much fun. Just the the uh, for gosh, probably like six hours we hung out today having conversations about everything imaginable. It was such a satisfying day. It was so much fun. And it's an honor to be able to share um, this particular conversation with you. But before we go to this um, conversation, I want to encourage you to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or on SoundCloud. When you subscribe, um, Supernatural content will download uh, onto your um, 
onto your podcast device automatically every week, whether it be your, your mobile phone or a tablet or even your desktop computer. It'll happen automatically without you having to do anything. And the cool part is that, guys, literally every single week, we got fresh content that's, um, that is, uh, that's going out here on the Supernaturalist podcast show. So first of all, go and subscribe. That would be incredible. Created a link to get you there easily and quickly, efficiently. Um, check it out. It's thedarrenshow.com. That's thedarrenshow.com. That'll redirect you to iTunes. While you're there, don't forget to rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Reviews are a huge deal. Um, really, reviews and ratings are the word of mouth um, for podcasts. So that's how iTunes aggregates what's hip and happening um, on in the podcast universe. So if you would take a minute or two to leave a review, that would be mighty fine of you. If you can give it one star, that means that you think it's kind of lame. Or you can give it five stars, and that means that you think this thing is dope and be off the chain. So if you would do that, um, that would be incredible. Without any further ado, let's dive into this interview with John Thomas right here on the Supernaturalist podcast show. Let's go. John Thomas, what's up? <laughs> I'm just yeah enjoying the deja vu moment right now. That, that is so weird. Yeah. So just before we went live, you had this crazy. Yeah, I, I pulled the microphone towards me, and as I pulled the microphone towards me, as it as it came close, all of a sudden I went total deja vu. It was like I've done this before. I've seen this, and I I could feel the dream, but I couldn't quite pull the whole dream back. But I could. feel How did the you dream. feel in the dream? Was it like a was it? Because I don't know. Like whenever I get like these deja vu moments, usually it's almost like there's like a creepy factor to it. Like, do you know what I'm talking about? Like, like yeah. you get this feeling of like, I don't know what I think about this. Like, where does this go? Well, but the, the thing is, is I've been pressing into this for years. Oh, you have? Okay. And so I love deja vu. Okay. All right. Because usually deja vu is a dream that you've had that your mind doesn't remember, but your spirit remembers. So the feeling of familiarity is your spirit says this is familiar. Pay attention. But your mind is saying this is not familiar. I've never heard any teaching on deja vu moments. Really? Yeah. Except for like on the matrix. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, it's yeah, not about that. It's, yeah, it's not that. <laughs> it's not because somebody just switched the program. <laughs> when the Matrix builds your theology out, you know, Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> yes. All right. So, but, yeah. Fascinating. It's, it, is there, and that, yeah, it's just a trip, huh? Like when you have this it, is, it is. Well, and what, one of the things that I do is I, I, there's there's a couple things that are going on. There, there's a reason why it was important enough for God to speak it in the first place. Yeah. And, you know, it says in Job 33, I think it's like verses 14 through 18, and, you know, God speaks in one way or another. Man does not perceive it in a dream, in a vision of the night. And while sleep comes upon man, he speaks into their spirit and he seals their instruction. And, and literally, that it, what, what God will do is he'll give you a dream, and then he'll seal that dream so that you can't remember it. Like Daniel was told at the end of his book, now seal up the words for the time is not yet. And so there's times when God will give revelation, and the revelation will be there, but then he'll seal it so that the mind can't remember it, but it's in the spirit. I see. And then at the right moment, when, when you begin to fulfill something, um, that you'll have that feeling of deja vu because your spirit's saying, yes, this is, 
I've been waiting for this moment. Like, this is important. We've been here before. Um, but your mind is saying, what? <laughs> what do you, you mean when you say that you've been pressing into this? Well, meaning I, because of that understanding, I look for those deja vu moments and they, they don't freak me out. They excite me. Is it like a regular thing? Like a, like a once a day kind of thing? Where no, you have, no, no okay. not even close. Okay, really? I mean, maybe... I mean, once a year or, or okay. a few times a year, maybe. All right. So this is a, this is a significant yeah. moment. Yeah. Awesome. And yeah. yeah, come on, come on. Um, and what, what kind of, so like what, what kind of, what kind of things are you thinking on right now? Like what kind of stuff is like, just f- like fascinating, like, like what kind of mysteries like, like, are you kind of just like thinking on and dwelling on and, and <laughs> like kind of messing with you a little bit? Well, you know, I'm I'm currently reading through the Minor Prophets, so okay. I, I just I, I try to read through the Bible on a regular basis, yeah. and so I just happen to be in the season. And I got through the Major Prophets not too long ago and started in the Minor Prophets, and I was reading in Micah, and something hit me in Jeremiah, and it came back again in in Micah, and so I, I was paying it. I was actually meditating on it this morning. I, I put this up on Facebook. I'm just going to read what yeah, I wrote dude, on Facebook yeah. because this is a it kind of coalesces this thought. Um, into one place. So biblical prophets said a few times that if someone only says nice, encouraging things, they're probably a false prophet. Okay. And Jeremiah, he, he specifically, uh, somebody confronts him and says, why are you prophesying that the judgment's coming to Jerusalem? And Jeremiah basically says, well, hey, if I was prophesying that everything was, be, was good, then you should question whether or not I'm from the Lord. But the fact that I'm actually prophesying what you don't want to hear says that I'm probably prophesying from the Lord. And, <laughs> and, and, and I just, I was reading in Micah this morning and he says exact, exactly the same thing. He, he goes, you know, you have all these prophets and, and, and the Lord was, is, you know, I'm against these prophets because, you know, when, when, they're, when their basket is full of bread, yeah. they say blessing is coming. In other words, people that pay them, they say what they want to hear. But the people that don't pay them, they just, they say bad things about them. And, and so there, there's this kind of this blessing mentality that comes into prophesying where, where we always have to say the nice thing. And so I'll continue what I wrote. Yeah, yeah. Uh, today we teach the opposite. So biblical prophets said a few times, if someone only says nice, encouraging things, they're probably a false prophet. Today we teach the opposite. Nice requires changing the truth to make the other person feel good. Let that sink in for just a second. Yeah, that, I'm thinking through that. Because what, what we, you know, be nice. Don't be truthful. Be nice. Um, I don't. That's like, the assumption. That's the unspoken right. assumption. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you're growing up and you go over to somebody's house and you you take a bite of something, you're like, "That's disgusting." And your mom <laughs> says, "Be nice." Yeah. Right. 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 You know, lie. Yep. Don't tell them how you actually, now there's, there's a, good and a, a good and a bad way of saying it, but nice requires lying. Um, it requires changing the truth to make the other person feel good. Love couches the truth in kindness so it's easier for the other person to hear it even if they don't like it. So the, just understanding that nice requires lying doesn't mean that we shouldn't be nice, right? That we shouldn't be kind, we shouldn't be loving. You can still be loving in how you say it. Um, Nice is more concerned about how they will feel about me because I want them to think that I'm a good person, nice person. Love is more concerned about their eternal good. I think we need more love and less nice when nice is really lying 
speak truth and love. Don't speak what people want to hear to be nice. That's not loving. And, and I'm, not, I'm not suggesting that we, we, we take the prophetic gift and we start looking for the negative. And, uh, and there's been such a beautiful focus on pulling the gold out of people. Uh, but we also, we live in a culture where everybody gets a trophy. Um, and so somebody does really bad and they get rewarded for it so that they feel good about themselves. We were just talking about that today. We just had a, a planning meeting for an event that we're doing this summer where there's going to be a competition. We said, well, let's, let's approach this as millennials. Everybody gets the blue ribbon. Well, and then what that does is that, that makes sure that nobody, ex- that nobody actually has a desire to excel. Yep. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I agree. And, and so, you know, th- there's a place of rewarding effort. Yeah. But th- I, there's, there's that, that. No, that, I, I'm with not, you, man. And, and I love that post. I, I'm going to grab that post because uh, it is de- certainly a, a deep thought. I, I think the contrast has been like, so like there's been such a radical contrast between the nice prophets and then just the jerks. And I think that, um, that it'd be good to see, I don't want to use the balance word, but like <laughs> it'd, it'd be good to see that. that uh, and the other thing that, that, that I look at isn't so much necessarily, is it nice or is it loving, but is it accurate? And I, right. and I, and I think there's something about how accuracy can bring a credibility. Um, and then also uh, coupled with the fruit of the spirit, like, which is what you're talking about love, but as well as the rest of the fruit of the spirit. And how does that look? How does the fruit of the spirit look in the life of a of a prophet with accuracy and yet not watering down on the truth? We yeah. certainly are in need of a prophetic voice that um, where there's some confrontation. Yeah, yeah. So there can be some separation. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and I've been, I've been. I mean, this this is something that I've been thinking about. I mean, it's just so fresh in my okay, heart because yeah. this was my meditation this morning. Okay. I, was, I was sitting there drinking my coffee and okay. reading, and I just I had to close the Bible and just think on it for a bit. Wow. Um, but I, I've been pressing into this, and one of one of the things awesome. that I've found, um, if you develop relationship with someone, yeah, and they actually know that you love them, you can say the hard thing, and, and it doesn't ruin the relationship. Wow. Because they recognize that it's coming out of love. But, but I've found in my own heart that when I need to say something hard to somebody, if I'm really scared of what they're going to think of me and my insecurity gets in the way, I will either say it really mean just to get it over with, or I will lie to make them feel good so that they don't dislike me. Wow. And that's really, that, that's my insecurity. And so the, the problem with harshness comes because I'm insecure. Wow. And so if I can deal with my insecurity and then I can truly just love that person, I will love them enough to say what needs to be said. I, I, I will love my child enough wow. that, w- wow. that when they fall and, and they scrape themselves on gravel, that I'm actually going to dig that dirt out of that wound while they're screaming, telling me how much they hate me because I'm hurting them. So because of my love for you, I will overcome my fear of rejection. Yes. To speak the truth. To speak the truth. And then whatever the consequence of that is, I'm willing to walk that out because of my yeah. love for you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to the extent that I've actually overcome that fear of rejection will determine how it comes across because what's going on inside of me is going to tell, is going to determine what happens to you when I say it. So if I'm in fear, I, I remember sitting down with a friend of mine, um, I, I'd done something, 
out of the goodness of my heart. I, I, I had good intentions, but it was wrong. Uh, he'd asked me to come and help him do something. I did it. I, I took some liberties that I knew I shouldn't have, but I felt like I was justified in doing it. Hmm. He sits me down the next week and, and he begins explaining how difficult the conversation is going to be. <laughs> and I'm sitting there thinking, Crap. just shut up and tell me what you've got to say because right. like, you're, you're trying to protect yourself. Wow. By, 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 if you just, just say what needs to be said, just say it. I, I know you, I, I've walked with you. We've had disagreements before we've made it through the disagreements. Just say that what needs to be said. And, and when you develop that in, in, in people that you have relationship with, and you can do that with people that are close to you and semi close to you. Then what happens is you actually develop favor in the spirit so that when you do it with a stranger, that it has more impact and it's received in the same way. Wow. Because you've dealt with the insecurities of your own heart, because most of how somebody receives something is because of how you expect them to receive it. I think the tough part is, is when there has to be confrontation, um, but there's not trust. So the, there's not the kind of trust there that's necessary in order for there to be healthy conflict. So because there's not trust, any sort of rebuke is going to be seen as an attack. And yet we have to have the conversation yeah. almost knowing that outside of a miracle, the conversation is not going to go well. That I, I'm in, I'm, I'm at, that's in, uh, uh, that's something that, that I'm engaging with right now yeah. is this, is this uh, situation where I have to be the one unfortunately you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. yeah so this is so relevant to what you're bringing up right now and the the trust isn't there in fact there is there's enough of a victim mentality that this no matter no matter what kind of posture i come in if i come in a posture of like overdoing it on the pastoral side it's it's almost going to be interpreted as false or fake so the more real i am the more they will respect me, whether or not they're willing to admit it or not. Mm -hmm. And yet it's going to be something that they can kind of put in their attack portfolio. And it's a real difficult place to be, you know, yeah. because I don't want to, I don't want to be rejected and I don't want to provide somebody with ammunition that they can use to say, pastor, you're attack me. I, I don't want to be that pastor. You know what I'm saying? And it's right. just a, it's a tough place to be in. I think for pastors, it, their role's different than a prophet in one hand uh, and their gifting is different. So like, like the people that I know that are just like straight up profit in their temperament, like they're like, oh, we're going to start World War III today. Bam, let's do it for the cause of truth. Let's do it. You know what I'm right. saying? Yeah. But versus me, I'm like, I would rather not go into World War III today. What can I do to, um, to see that we can all be friends? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And yet you're absolutely right. And that's one of the things I love about what you're saying is that like when you read the word and the word you're no longer studying it, but it's actually studying you. Yeah. And you're like, oh my goodness, like I'm approaching this whole thing, but I'm doing it selfishly. I, it, I'm, I'm approaching my Christianity with a certain level of self-preservation -pre yeah. versus obedience to, uh, to the word and what the Lord wants to do here. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, you know, just, just on that last bit about the difference between a prophet and a pastor, um, I heard John Paul say this, and, and I actually... I think it's probably one of the wiser things that I've heard in a very long time. Um, anybody that's going to be an itinerant prophet needs to pastor for at least three years <laughs> before they do it. Wow. Before they do it. 
wow. uh, because it will temper how they say things and what they say things and how they interact with local churches in a way that nothing else will uh, because they don't understand and they can't understand because they haven't been there and they think that they understand but but understanding that comes from information is never the same as understanding that comes from experience i mean that that's why you have people that are successful business people and that's why you have people that teach successful business people yeah it totally makes me think of guys like you <laughs> jamie galloway right. and ivan roman i'll tell you and jamie like I three guys that 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 walked that walk I, and i love i mean i remember when jamie decided that he was going to pastor that church um we, we were we were chatting and he's like you know um, I, I go around the world and I talk about this stuff, but I don't think that I have any right to talk about it unless I've actually done it. And so I need to lead a local congregation and do this and actually work it out in community or else I, I don't have, um, I, I don't have the integrity to do what I'm doing. And I, when, when I, after I had that, I mean, I, I've always respected Jamie. I mean, the Lord gave me a dream about him before I met him that wow. put a lot of respect in my heart for him. But man, after that level of respect that I have for, for who he is and what he carries just went to a whole nother level. Wow. That's integrity. Yeah. 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 And I think that, that when we're doing life in a, in community, in a sense of togetherness, in the truest, in the truest sense of the word, there is an accountability built into those relationships where we can hold each other accountable for, um, for bending the truth in order for self-preservation's sake right mm -hmm. versus like versus um and well being loving right like yeah. i'm not gonna let you get away with that what's the truth what are you seeing like yeah. i know you I, I know you too well to let you be nice yeah yeah that's <laughs> right like yeah. and i think we need those kind of relationships like all right oh. cut the you know cut the crap <laughs> like what are you seeing just sit you know we yeah. we need that and i think that that's where whether or not you can actually be a pastor three years i don't know to whatever degree that's possible right but if, if if you don't get that opportunity to really like to invite people around you that do love you in order to not be nice yeah well one of the things i mean we've got um prophetic communities training centers that are around the world in different places and one of the requirements that we have to be a streams teacher that i instituted is uh, you, you have to be in a local congregation if you're not a in a local congregation serving in your local church, then you, you can't be a streams teacher. Why did you do that? Well, because um, I, remember, I remember being in a meeting, in private meeting, and hearing, hearing someone say, you know, my, my gift is so big, there's not a pastor that can cover me. That's why I don't go to a local church. Wow. And I'm thinking, okay, so you don't deserve, you, you shouldn't go to any church. Like, why, why would you minister to the church? Like that, that level, that one, that level of pride, that level of separation that would allow somebody to say that or believe that. And they genuinely believe they weren't trying to say it in, in a, like a boastful way. They were trying to explain to people that they were mentoring what was going on in their lives. And, and, and I've seen again and again, people that, that don't have a local body and that aren't involved in, in a local body and what happens to them. I, mean, I, I, I travel and, and I'm as busy as, as the next person and, you know, people that get in, in ministry and, and start to travel and there's a level of busyness when things explode. Um, y you can, you can find all kinds of excuses, not go to church. 
I mean, I've been, you know, I'm doing church meetings. You know, I just did seven church meetings this week. Why would I go to Sunday service? I just need to rest. I need yeah, some alone yeah. time. I need some quiet time or whatever, whatever it would be. But I, I still, um, I, I'm on the ministry team at our local church. I put on a name tag like everybody else and I go stand in front and wait for people to come up to me to pray for them what about um, the, as a way to serve. And I meet with my pastor on a regular basis so that he knows what's going on in my heart and he can speak into me. I'm in agreement, bro. Like, like a total agreement with what you're saying. Of course, being a pastor, that wouldn't be too surprising as <laughs> to people listening. Um, and, uh, and I try to do everything that I can to, cause like, uh, my story is like, I would not have stepped into my destiny unless I could, unless I stepped into the context of a local church. So I like, that's my own bias. Like, I think that if you're going to step into the fullness of God's call for your life, then you need to be plugged into not just a local church, but like into, I would say probably like a, an, like an apostolic, like a, like, a, like into an apostolic center where there's like, there's a, there's a spiritual current. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, yeah. um, although God can really use any sort of, God can use any sort of local church, but if you have that, that as an option to plug into a real apostolic safe house that believes in the gifts of the spirit, then plug, plug in. And oftentimes within that context, you'll see yourself begin to step into your destiny. So I've been like, at, like, you know, I'm, I'm a church advocate. Absolutely. And I, and I also definitely get the other side of it. One of the questions that I get, and I don't know if you've heard this as well is, um, is the idea that, um, the concept of church or an ecclesia, um, goes beyond just the called out ones, you know, cause that's what the ecclesia means. Like, like, you know, called out ones and called into something called into a new, into the way or into this form of Christianity, what, what have you. There's this idea that the, the term ecclesia was actually a governmental term yeah. uh, referring to ones that have authority to govern on the earth. And that the idea of the church isn't the, the model that we have right now, that the model that we have right now is kind of a Greek model everyone sits in their in their rows and they obey the rules and they stand when they're supposed to you know and the idea is is that 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 we don't have to belong to this greek form of western thing that we call church but that we but that we should be a part of this uh part of this ecclesia of governing ones and that can be played out very individualistically and probably have you heard this um and and, and, i've heard that and i'm not dissing nothing you know what i'm saying it's a very it's a fascinating it's a fascinating thought yeah it's in it's it's just the way that that was explained right there yeah is based off of partial information and misinformation okay so uh one the church was not sitting in rows the way that it looks like in the first few centuries that that didn't really happen until we got to to the reformation and that actually has something more to do with our media than it does anything else it was because we got used to a book and so we made our churches look like a book you've got a spine in the center and you've got two pages filled with lines <laughs> no i'm serious interesting. that's but, interesting but that that actually that happened before then a lot of the churches would face each other and and and, and a lot of the cathedrals you go to some of the old cathedrals that are before the printing press and you look at those cathedrals and, and there, there was place for people to stand and there was often not chairs in them. Chairs and pews were new. They, they, there was a new thing, but they often couldn't even see the priest. Really? Yeah. The priest would be on the other side of a veil or, or there'd be a, a big, a big area where the choir would sit and some of the dignitaries would sit and they were usually facing each other. Yeah. I've seen that. Not yeah. facing to the front, not. 
and, and there so, wasn't even pews that, yeah, there was, that was, that was a new thing. Um, they would come in and they would, and they would stand there, they would gather around and they would be a part of the service and then they would go. But so, so ecclesia, the, the word ecclesia is a Greek concept. It's actually, it comes out of the Greek city state governments. Uh, it was instituted around the time of, um, uh, Alexandra, Alexander the great, um, who, who made the Greek empire, the Greek empire. And he, what he would do is he would allow certain cities to self-govern things that were not directly in contrast or conflicting with the laws of the empire. Uh, so if there was something that the laws didn't directly relate to, a lot of it had to do with trade, a lot of it had to do with culture within the city, um, that type of thing, that they could, people that were a citizen of that city-state, and there were certain ones, Ephesus was, would, would have been one, um, Athens was the first one, um, the, 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 those city-states, that they would, they would call an ecclesia, and they would blow a trumpet, and everybody would come to the gathering place. And in anybody that came to the gathering place, everybody that was a citizen would have a voice. If you were not a citizen, you didn't have a voice. Um, but if you were a citizen and you didn't come to the gathering, you didn't have a voice. But everybody that was a citizen that came to the gathering would have a voice. Wow. And they would discuss as a group about whatever the situation was. It would be presented, arguments would be presented, and they would come to an agreement together and the determination that was made in the ecclesia became the governing rule for how to deal with that situation moving forward. So that's the concept of ecclesia. When Jesus used the word ecclesia in, in Matthew 16, first time it was ever used, uh, everybody that was listening to him, they're like, wait a second, that's not wow. a religious term. What are you talking wow. about? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it is governmental, but the word literally does mean the called out ones because it's those that are the citizens that were called out to determine what happens in the culture. And so it is the gathering. Without a gathering, there is no ecclesia. If you don't show up at the gathering, your voice doesn't matter. That, and that's, that's key to understanding that's ecclesia. That's huge. And, yeah, that's huge. But that is a governmental issue because, because what that helps us understand is the things that we allow in our gatherings are the things that we allow in the culture that we're reaching. Can you say that again? The things that we allow in our gatherings are the things that we allow in our culture. So l let me ask you a question. How many times have you heard somebody say, well, we can't start that ministry now because it's too costly and it's not a good time? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so we abort. Yeah, it doesn't make sense to invest that much money into. Right. Right. Okay. And so we abort something that's being birthed in our midst out of convenience because it's not convenient because it's not good economically. That's the number one reason there's abortions in America because it's inconvenient and it's not good economically. Maybe if we stopped aborting the ministries in the church, we could actually stop abortion in our society. Mic drop. That's crazy. I mean, that's a crazy, th I mean, it's, 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 it's crazy. I mean, that's fascinating. That, that's a better, <laughs> not like you're crazy and you should shut up. Um, <laughs> that ministry will never work. <laughs> that's just a dumb idea. Um, no, no, that is fascinating is what that is. The, the dysfunctional factors that are allowed to play out within the context of the ecclesia will replicate themselves and the culture around us. Yeah. Yeah. Hollywood became big once there were stars in the church. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. And, it, and was that a negative thing? Is it or isn't it? I don't know. Like, 
Just looking at some of these. I mean, just, I mean, you look at the early church, there were obviously stars in the church. I mean, everybody knew Philip the evangelist. Yeah. You know, everybody knew Agabus the prophet. Everybody knew Paul and Barnabas was. And I mean, so is, is it necessarily negative? Um, but, but here's the thing. What, what's happened is we, we've allowed people that are stars and that have a platform to get away with having a different set of moral standards. And now that's celebrated in our culture. Yes, true. And that was never allowed in the New Testament. Because for someone to get into a place of leadership, the, 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 the requirements were stricter. I mean, it was to be an elder in the church, which anybody that was in a public ministry had to be an elder in a church. Like Peter, he was an apostle, which went from church to church to church. He was a fellow elder with the church that he was writing to when he wrote that. And so there, there, was, there was a requirement. This is what it looks like. You know, you have to you know, be a husband of one wife or a wife of one husband. You can't be given over to drinking. Um, you, you know, you gotta, you gotta handle your money. Well, you've got to handle your anger and your frustrations. Well, you, you've got to have these certain levels. You got to have a good reputation with people that are unbelievers. You, you've got to, you got to have your family in order. Uh, these are the requirements because what you allow in your life is what you'll allow in the church mm-hmm. and what you allow in your church is what you'll infect the society with because mm-hmm. the church is the leaven that was sown into society. Fascinating. And what you're saying is that there is like. There is a certain level of cultural influencing authority that the ecclesia has that perhaps we don't even know that we carry that yes. much power because we yeah. believe the lie that we're just a local church. Yeah. And it's not just about because some people are grabbing hold of this concept um, and then they get together and they make declarations as an ecclesia expecting culture to change. Uh, here's the thing, a word that is spoken will only be heard in heaven if it's actually true, which means if you don't have the internal reality to line up with that word, it's not going to have impact. It's not going to release authority. So if we haven't dealt with the issue in our own hearts before we try to deal with it externally, yeah, seven, yeah, the I'm seven sons I'm of Sceva. Yeah. The seven sons of Sceva were trying to exercise. They'd gotten it understanding. They'd gotten information that Jesus had authority, but they didn't have a self-revelation. They were not under the authority of Jesus. They tried to apply that information by making declarations. You, you know, you, we cast you out by the, by the Jesus that Paul preaches, and they got overcome by the very thing they were trying to take over. And that's Absolutely. one of the reasons why there's so much problems in spiritual warfare in the church is because we haven't dealt with the issue in our own heart before we try to deal with it out there. Absolutely. It's like if you're partnering with the mafia yeah, and you really think that you're going to drive the mafia out of your city. Right. Yeah. Wow. 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 And on one hand, that is like a word of warning. You could, you, yeah. you, you could say, because no matter how small you are within your church, your local church um, there's a tremendous amount of authority that you have in the spirit yeah if you've don't you think that there'd be that that would be contingent based on the fact that it's a biblical church right that, that there'd be yeah. the kind of government that would that would constitute an, an ecclesia right well I mean the the interesting thing about the the ecclesia is in in the gathering of the ecclesia everybody had equal voice okay but there were certain people that were then required to exercise that voice that was chosen. Once agreement was made, then certain people had the authority to, to bring everybody to bear to that. 
and, and hold people responsible to it. Um, there, there's, there, there is levels of authority and there's, there is, uh, there's ways of governing the church, but there's at least two different ways in scripture that are clear in scripture that, that cannot coincide. And so I, I don't think there's, there's not just one way of biblical government, but the clarity of there being clear leadership and what that government is, is very clear in scripture. There's no such thing as a democracy in the church. It's it's built on a kingship. It's it's a royalty. It's a kingdom. Mm. It's not a democracy. There is a king, and there's clear leadership within that. And so, it, whatever that clear leadership looks like, there 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 can be some movement on what that may be. Because in one place it looks like this, and another place it looks like this. I can't remember exactly the cities, but you you look at the the way that it was set up. Um, you know, the, you, you, you have a couple different ways that it might look, and yet it's clear that there was leadership and everybody knew who the leaders I were. I love these conversations. You know, it, we were Assemblies of God. I was a third generation Assemblies of God minister. And so we were a congregationally led church. And, um, and so when we transitioned out of the Assemblies of God, um, we had a meeting with, the, you know, we did everything, walked it out really well, lots, lots of series of meetings. But that was one of the things one of the governmental changes that I wanted to make at Sarah Bible Center is that we would go from being a congregational-led church to being an elder-led um, church. What's interesting is what was communicated to me was that the assemblies already made that transition back all the way back in 2003. And I said, what? Apparently in 2003 in Washington, D.C., at the main, at the big convention, there was an argument made that you can do things the congregational way or you can do things, and, and no joke, this is what it was called, the biblical way. And that um, that uh, uh, church plants that were being started by the assemblies of God were being encouraged to not have a congregational led churches because all the studies said that that congregational led churches would um, would cap your growth and um, and would 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 keep the church plant from coming into any sort of you know vitality and, and I didn't know any of this so here we have all these new you know um, church plants coming out of the assemblies of God that are not congregationally led. They are um, uh, elder-led churches, wow. and, um, and and who knew? 2003, Washington D.C. There's a new model, and they're calling it the biblical model. That is hilarious. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Well, and the, and the two models that I that I can see in Scripture is um, the elder run, because there, there's clear in, in a couple different places the elders ran the church. Um, but when Paul started the churches, Paul was the leader. And he would appoint a leader that would then lead the churches. And so there, there was the, the single leader um, way pa- as pastor well. Led. Pastor led. You yeah. know, Timothy was clearly uh, a pastor led. He, he, you know, Titus was getting ready to move on from where he was at. And so he was supposed to set elders into place and then move on um, in Crete. I believe it was Crete. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but but Timothy in, in Ephesus, he was actually, he, he was the leader and he was, you know, hey, when, you, when you're dealing with the elders, you know, be careful how you deal with them, but this is still how you correct them. And so there, there was, there was the, the both of those dynamics that are, that are in scripture. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. And yeah. I wonder the, 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 what the size of, of an ecclesia would be, because if everybody gets equal voice, yeah. when you show up, you get a voice at that table. Yeah you would think that would only work up to a certain size. Well, I mean, you take a look at a city like the, the Ephesus was a, a, it was an ecclesia city. And that was one of the city states. Uh, Philippians was another city state. 
Um, they, they estimate that by the, the middle of the first century, the church in Ephesus was around 40,000. Wow. So imagine what the size of the, the city was. And so when they called the ecclesia, they all got to come out. And so the ecclesia was a large gathering. It was a crowd. They would usually use the, the stadium or the Colosseum uh, of the city as the gathering place for the place. And you actually can see that in Ephesus when Paul first goes to Ephesus and they all gather and, and, and the, 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 the guys that are in charge of it, they're like, wait a second, this is not a lawful ecclesia. It says lawful gathering. Really? This is not a lawful ecclesia. We're going to have to give an account for this meeting. So let's disperse right now and come back <laughs> at an appropriate time. Let's handle this the right way. That Interesting. Is, yeah. Man, it's fascinating. Yeah. I, I find size culture really, really interesting, which is why I brought that up as far as, as far as the, did, did you ever read uh tipping point by uh I've, I've got Bible? it. I, I've, I know the concepts, basic concepts of it, but I haven't, I haven't read it yet. Yeah. It's interesting because he, he talks about, you know, size culture. He talks about at what point do you hit that tipping point and at what point is hitting the tipping point a negative thing. And he talked about uh, actually religious communities. And I believe he actually uses the Methodist as a model where they would, um, perhaps cap their congregations at around 150. And he said that there's something about the tipping point of 150 people that once you get over that, you lose the distinctive values and a certain, um, basically what he said is that like, that there's, there's this magical, like, so the idea of like church growth, right? It, it would almost like, it almost seem as though the book was recommending hitting that, hitting that, that point and then starting another service or starting another church, going to church planting, because there's something about um, the, uh, there's something about how values can be passed on and guarded and protected within a tribe of, of that amount. Yeah. So that's why like, I'm, I, like I'm, I'm always really curious about size culture and how does the size of something affect the culture in a, in a positive or neg- negative way in the context of a church. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> that's really good. I Especially when that. we're having these conversations about, apostolic centers and, yeah. uh, and what we're talking about, we don't want to just fill, fill buildings. We want to actually, we want to change the world. Yeah. Right. Not just re, not just get the, the world Christianized. We want to, we will literally want to transform the culture of the world. Yeah. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's what we're here for. Yeah. And stuff. I mean, we, we, we follow a King that invaded a foreign culture. He, he actually expects there to be, a, an implementation of the victory that he won. Wow. Beautifully said. Yeah. Beautifully uh, said. That's. And how, like, how do you think we're doing in the, in like the culture transformation department? Cause I know for a long time, it seems like the church absolutely retreated from the culture. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you start getting all this teaching. Everybody's got whiteboards or seven mountains. And it's like, everybody's trying to figure this whole <laughs> thing out and hack the whole thing. And like, like, oh, yeah, you got to have this. Right. And actually there's 14 mountains and mathematics and, you know, like, yeah. like, and the, this whole thing, like, so it feels like the church has like overall, even mainstream, you know, the Presbyterian denominations are having these conversations as well Yeah, to re-engage how, like from your viewpoint how do you feel like how do you feel like the church is doing you know it it depends on where we look uh how 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 tight of a a circle are we looking at how broad of a circle are we looking at are we looking at america as a whole are we looking at uh, individual cities and states are we looking at the world um and in what time period are we looking at 
is there, there was a study done not too long ago by a Harvard University professor was studying violent crimes. And he found that since the time of Jesus Christ, the percentage of people based off of population, the percentage of people that die by war or violent crimes has steadily decreased since the advent of Christianity. Wow. Steadily decreased. Yeah. Now you ask the average person right now, you know, is, is the world more violent or less violent than it was 50 years ago? Everybody's going to say, well, it's more violent. Everybody in America. They're wrong. It's not. It's not. Statistically, it's less violent. There's a lot more people and there's a lot more news media and it makes it sound like a lot more is happening. The we negative just didn't, things get amplified. The negative yeah. things are getting amplified and, and the positive things aren't being reported on. And, and so you, you've got, you know, a billion people that are hearing about what happens to 50 people and they think that that's what's going on in the world. Wow. Uh, so so you, you've, you do have that issue. Now, uh, it, are, there, are there issues and within that, are there dynamics that are happening in individual countries? I mean, y yeah, you, you, you take a look at America and you know, growth is never steady. And no matter what it is that you look for growth, I mean, even in people, we go through growth spurts yep. and, and it's not necessarily that we shrink, but as, as, can say as, shrink your, spurts. Yep. But as, as yep. kids, like right. we have growth spurts and then we have like stagnant times and then growth spurts and stagnant times. And you, you look at trees and there's, there's seasons they grow exponentially fast and seasons where they seem to not grow very much at all. You look at the economy and you see the ups and downs of the economy. Um, you know, you, you try to cross the Rocky Mountains. When you try to cross the Rocky Mountains, you're going to get to a, a mountaintop. And if you, you keep on going, you're going to have to go down before you can go up to the next mountaintop. Mm. And you're going to have to go down before you get, you're going to have to go up and down an awful lot. You're going to go down, not quite as much as you're going up, but it's going to feel like it. Mm. And, and if, you, if you look in the short term, it'll feel like things are going bad. But if you look in the long term, we're farther than we ever were. Wow. And the reality is that the church has changed the world. Just, just look at the laws in, in, even in the last 500 years, it would just go from the reformation. We look at the laws that have been released in the last 500 years and, and how laws have changed. What, what's normal, you know, a 500 years ago, a thousand years ago, it would be normal that, that when, in, when there was a war that whoever wants would rape and pillage whoever mm -hmm. they beat, mm -hmm. that would be normal. Yeah. Now. There's international tribunals, and that stuff is abnormal. Like, yeah, that's yeah, amazing true. growth. That is. That's amazing growth. The church is doing its job. But Jesus is in the long game. He's not in the short game. Fascinating. And we, we keep on looking at we the just, short game. We just game. don't think that way. Yeah. 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 I mean, you got to look at 500 years. You got to look at 100 years. You got to look at 1,000 years. And when you look at it that way, it's astounding how well we're doing. If you look in the last 20 years, the last 50 years, especially in America, I mean, you can start to feel like we're, we're not doing a whole bunch in some places. But in other places, man, it's amazing how much we've accomplished. Yeah, man, that's so good. And, and the other thing is, is also just the, uh, the challenge to be thinking about the long game and the kind of decisions that we're making right yeah. now as, as a church. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I tend but, to not necessarily make decisions based off of the next 200 years you know i'm right. thinking of like the next 30 60 i mean if i want to be generous i could say 120 140 thinking about my at least my immediate children right but i'm not necessarily yeah. thinking of like kingdom strategic decisions 
that are going to set things. You know what I'm saying? Right. Because I'm thinking about like, how do I get the most bang for the buck fruit wise next year? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like just confessing sin here. Yeah. But other, like other religions such as Islam, they don't think that way. Right. They're thinking about like having lots of children and where they're having those children and the, the regions and you know, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah. Well, John, thank you so much, man, for, man, yeah. we've been all over the map, um, but this has been a lot of fun. We, really we just we just did the radio show. We talked about dreams, but man, we just went to a whole new depth. <laughs> yeah, a whole new Yeah, starting off with deja vu and oh, then so wrapping things up about the transformation of the world over the last 500 <laughs> years, dude. But let's seriously stink and do this again because this was so much yeah, fun. definitely. All right, love you, buddy. Love you too, right. man. Hope you're enjoying this podcast. If you are, make sure that you subscribe. To do so, go to thedarrenshow.com. That's thedarrenshow.com. That'll redirect you to iTunes where you can subscribe. You can also rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Reviews are the word of mouth for podcasts. If you take a minute or two to leave a review, that would be mighty fine. If you can give it one star, that means that you think it was kind of lame. Or you can give it five stars, and that means that you think this thing be right. It dope. It be off the chain. That would be incredible. Love you guys. Have an amazing week. See you next week here on the Supernaturals Podcast Show.